you gotta at least say something. Emerald Technologies is the local source for computer sales and services. They carry Apple and Windows laptops for every budget and custom-built desktop systems for gaming, video editing, and office work. They carry all kinds of cables, chargers, routers, printers, and whatever other gizmos you might need to get the job done. Since 1998, Emerald Technologies has worked to keep your computer alive and happy and out of the e-waste pile. Stop by their Garberville office just up the way from Ray's. Check out emeraldtech.biz or give them a call 701. This is Redwood Community Radio, KMED Garberville, KMUE Eureka, KLAI Laytonville, where the views and opinions expressed throughout the broadcast day are those of the speakers and not necessarily those of the station staff or underwriters. Time is made available for all sorts of viewpoints, and thank you all so much for choosing to listen to us. Get ready for Ask Your Herb Doctor. We have the doctors in the house. I believe I do. Andrew, are you there? Do I got you, Andrew? Hmm. Well, I thought I had Dr. Murray. I do have Dr. Pete here. Dr. Pete, do I have you? I'm still here. Okay, and uh, I had a technical error, and I think... uh, I'll be back. We're going to listen to the theme music for a song for a second here.
We have Hello, one of the doctors, and I got to get Dr. Pete back. Engineer, are we, uh, are we on? Yes, Dr. Murray, you are on. Okay, thank you. Uh, welcome to this month's Ask Your Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. Uh, from 7 to 8 p.m., we run these shows uh, every third Friday of the month. Uh, Ask Your Herb Doctor is the name of the show, and for the longest time now, we've been joined uh, by Dr. Raymond Pete, Ph.D., uh, who's been weighing in with his uh, academic um, take on a lot of different subjects that are sometimes controversial and sometimes not, uh, but always informative. Uh, so once again, we're very pleased to uh, have Dr. Pete with us on the show. Are you there, Dr. Pete? I'm getting Dr. Pete back right now. Okay. Yes, we have Dr. Pete on the line. Hi, Dr. Pete. Thanks so much for giving your time again this evening. Okay, I don't, I don't hear Dr. Pete. I know this is a remote, uh, a remote programming here, and I've had a few problems in the past. Dr. Pete can hear you. Uh, barely. I can't hear him. Uh, I can barely hear him. Huh. Can you try okay, it now? I, I did get that. That was, I could hear that. We'll launch in, and I think he can hear you, too. Yeah. Okay. All right, good. Well, let's uh, let's start once again, and it's uh, Ask Your Herb Dr. K. Media Garberville, 91.1 FM. Uh, from now until 8 o'clock at the end of the show, you're invited to call in with questions, uh, hopefully related to this month's subject of epigenetics uh, and some experimental uh, cancer treatments uh, and also a little bit of COVID catch-up. Uh, the number's 707-923-3911. Sorry, so that's once again 707-923-3911 from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8. Uh, we're once again very pleased to have Dr. Raymond Pete with us. Dr. Pete, you with us? Yes. Good. Okay. Uh, sorry about the technical difficulties. Um, for those people who perhaps have never heard you before or um, would like to find out more about you, we'll give out your details at the end of the show. But would you please just give a roundup of your academic professional background so people can get an idea of where your work is coming from? Um, I, I was studying and teaching in the humanities uh, for about 10 years before I decided to go to graduate school in biology, which was in uh, 1968 to 1972, University of Oregon, uh, where I got a PhD in uh, uh, reproductive physiology and aging. And uh, my, my intention had been to study nerve biology uh, when I went to the university, uh, following up on the ideas of, of how language and the brain work. Uh, but because of dogmatism in the nerve biology uh, section, uh, I uh, ended up with reproductive physiology as a way to uh, concentrate on I interactions of hormones, uh, metabolism, uh, and development. And uh, uh, over the uh, next uh, almost 50 years, uh, I've been continuing to study those those areas. And you've had uh, quite quite a long quite a long history um, of 
actually consulting with people and firsthand, um, I won't say experimental because it's not experimental, but firsthand uh, guidance with uh, philosophies that you have uh, formulated over time here. Um, and much of, uh, much of what I've understood from you in the last 10 years uh, has been related to um, energy production. I think I would sum that up uh, in the terms of um, creative energy production and stemming uh, the dissolution of energy, uh, whether that is from a uh, from a dietary perspective or a supplemental perspective. But um, tonight's show, um, again, has piqued my interest, and I cannot claim to be uh, a scientist or knowledgeable in any way uh, on the subject, but I have some definite questions I'd like to ask you and to also help to understand uh, the subject a little more simply for listeners who perhaps um, don't have too much of a science background, but a lot of uh, what you can bring out in epigenetics is very relevant in terms of understanding the simple concepts of it. So um, going to the term epi. Genetics is basically, I think I could sum it up by saying it's a, a heritable uh, phenotype, um, the change of which does not involve alterations in the DNA sequence. Now, before I, before I let you take the floor with the uh, concept of epigenetics and I start to question you, I just want people to understand um, the two differences of um, phenotype and genotype when we're talking about genes and DNA and what they code for and what they do. The genotype gives the instruction and the phenotype in an organism is its appearance. Um, so I, I, saw, I saw that a, um, an account, and, and the word environmental enrichment, which I, I know you'll bring out in the context of um, altering uh, the, or rather adapting um, to the changes in epigenetics. Um, the epigenetics himself uh, may account for a significant fraction of what they term the missing heritability as DNA mutations only explained a minority of the expected heritable fraction, and they said that this discrepancy is known as the missing heritability. So um, when, you, when you describe epigenetics um, for our listeners, some of which may not be as science-based, um, if you could describe the basic uh, outlines of epigenetics and how, whether it's DNA changes in methylation or uh, the histones that the genes wrap around or this non-coding RNA that get altered and how the changes to those bring about profound changes uh, in genetic information and what gets turned on and what gets turned off and how this epigenetic uh, change really alters the structure of our consciousness, I think, in a lot of ways. Or conversely, our consciousness can alter the structure of our epigenetics. So uh, would you just uh, describe what it is that you understand as epigenetics and how they play into um, our health? Um, uh, the established uh, uh, powers in biology have been very resistant uh, to the idea uh, that uh, uh, there could be any transgenerational uh, influence of experience. Uh, and uh, that has involved uh, e even 
reducing and emptying the idea of what happens during adaptation. Why does exercise build stronger muscles? And what happens during learning and developing new ideas? The very idea of change was resisted powerfully by the people who saw the organism as a a compilation of specific traits uh, once developed in infancy or or, uh, achieving maturity. uh, The the idea was that our traits and our parts uh, uh, were like a a clock mechanism, that the the parts operated, allowed the uh, machine to work, but nothing very deep uh, was changing all during the adult uh, lifetime. Uh, uh, and that has a, a, an extensive ideological background uh, in which uh, the, the uh, organism was seen as uh, nothing but a com- compilation of uh, parts, each of which is eternal and unchangeable. Uh, and the idea that the organism might be in some way deeply changing after uh, has achieved maturity uh, uh, put, puts in doubt the whole idea that uh, the immortal genes specify the, the traits that together make up the machine of the organism. Uh, the idea of the machine is intended to uh, eliminate the idea that uh, the parts are constantly changing. Uh, but in reality, uh, when you look at the uh, experience of yourself or of other organisms, you see that uh, every day there's learning and change. Uh, so uh, you, you can't uh, really do anything twice because uh, the second time you do it is you're a different person. Uh, and uh, this idea really has a great biological significance that every moment of your experience, you're in development uh, all the way through your lifespan. And the immune system is constantly uh, operating and uh, recording your interactions with um, antigenic material or possible allergens or uh, immunological stimulants uh, the same way uh, actions and experiences change uh, the way you interpret the world. The structure of your brain is is constantly changing, and that interacts with your constantly changing immune system and all the rest of your body is moment to moment and undergoing adaptation. And that, it isn't just a technical, logical thing. The ideas that are constantly changing in your mind are actually changing the 
properties of the brain cells and of your immune cells and uh, uh, probably all of the cells. No one, no one has looked at every cell in the body, but pretty much every cell in the body, every uh, functional as a cell is likely to have a fine nervous fiber. Uh, so uh, the body isn't just uh, chemically uh, communicating like, like a swarm of, of uh, uh, insects attracted to uh, the smell of honey or something, but uh, there is a very deep penetration of, of fine nerve fibers into all of the tissues uh, integrating the whole uh, body and its chemistry uh, with the the conscious uh, uh, purpose and uh, ongoing behavior of the organism. Uh, so, uh, in, any little event happening in your body is also adding to the sum of uh, the development. The, um, Cameron, yeah. te technically, uh, people are using epigenetics just to mean certain chemical changes that uh, persist uh, from uh, uh, the state of one cell after that cell divides. Uh, but uh, the, the persistence of a physiological state uh, uh, from moment to moment is really the the simplest and most basic idea of epigenetics. Uh, every moment we inherit the whole past of our organism, uh, and uh, the fact that we don't uh, change uh, drastically and unrecognizably is that there is a, a logic and a momentum in these uh, developmental changes, uh, the, the whole system uh, is working in integration and uh, with a, a rational set of goals. Uh, the, the extreme way, uh, an analogy biologically, uh, would, would be the uh, transformation of a tadpole to a frog. Uh, uh, that it involves epigenetic changes of a very drastic sort, but it's good to keep that in mind as hidden out of sight. Our immune system and nervous system are having these constant little transformations or metamorphoses. So it's not as drastic as a tadpole turning into a frog. But our immune system and brain in particular are recognizably different over very short time spans. And what you, what you said a few moments ago caught my attention, and I, I, I kind of tried to sum it up as um, you, and again, this is, this is not... Uh, this is not preaching or anything to uh, those who have never really thought about the subject, but I think it's a very good point in explaining um, adaptation and epigenetics and how it affects us psychologically in terms of what we believe. Um, 
you reminds you that you are what you believe yourself to be, and that um, the subject of positive um, reinforcement or affirmations, positive affirmations, are seemingly a roadmap to a better future because that is a way, in many ways, I think, of changing um, your perception, your outlook, your mental state, and your physical state therein by epigenetic changes that can occur, can occur purely through positive reinforcement. Positive or, or negative, the environment to a great extent is imposing uh, unpleasant uh, degenerative right. changes on us. <laughs> and, uh, uh, for example, uh, if you put an animal in isolation, social distancing, uh, the animal yep. becomes more inflamed. Uh, the whole immune system is, is deranged in the direction of uh, inflammation just by uh, uh, the, the depressing experience of being isolated uh, yeah. from his friends. Uh, and uh, you can, uh, uh, if you reverse that, do the opposite and give them uh, lots of fun social contacts and lots of varied things to do, uh, an enriched environment, uh, that suppresses, that uh, ends the inflammatory processes and starts the organism back on the constructive uh, uh, developmental process away from the degenerative processes. Uh, so in terms of... Go on. Uh, uh, these ideas have been known to common people for hundreds of years. Uh, that uh, uh, Lamarck, for example, uh, said that uh, if an organism uh, needs uh, longer legs or, or stronger uh, arms or whatever, it will develop them by striving. Uh, basically, exercise improves the physiology and structure. Uh, anyone can see it happening uh, as you change your life, your organism uh, cooperates and uh, becomes uh, more efficient in that way of life. But uh, the Darwinists didn't like that I idea of, of, of the intelligence of the common person or the common organism. Uh, and uh, they invented the uh, assumption of randomness. It's a metaphysical idea created out of thin air uh, that uh, for some reason changes can only be random. Uh, and uh, they, they did it to atoms. It said that uh, the change of one type of atom to another can only be uh, random and unpredictable. Uh, nuclear uh, uh, transmutations are a chance event. And they applied that to biological changes. Uh, at first, the traits were uh, immortal and unchanging. Then, uh, when they saw mutations or, or actual changes happening, uh, they, they said those are only completely random and, and uh, useless. Uh, and uh, the, the mechanism of, of intelligent adaptation uh, uh, learning 
learning to play the, the flute or the trumpet or something. Uh, you have to uh, develop uh, muscular skills, uh, mental skills, uh, and, and change your organism to do that. But that kind of adaptation, they created a way to see it as simply a, a, a summing up of many of meaningless random diffusions of molecules through the system. You change your behavior and the modifications that happen in result as a result of that change behavior involve random diffusion of particles that end up changing the genes. But the whole idea of avoiding purposefulness at every point of life processes, that has been going on now for about 200 years. Okay, you're listening to Ask Your Dr. KMD Garberville, 91.1 FM from 7.30 until the end of the show. You're invited to call in the questions. The number is 707-923-3911. Dr. Raymond P., our guest speaker. Uh, Dr. P., you talked about um, moment-to-moment changes and you've described the process uh, by which epigenetics can affect us. Um, definitely negatively from an inflammatory point of view. And you've also mentioned that stresses, and you mentioned isolation, and I think in, in response to COVID and the isolation that's been imposed upon the masses, um, as well as authoritarianism, uh, which has been put on every continent of the planet by pretty much every government uh, and their people, uh, and deficiencies in freedom, deficiencies in social uh, engagement, de- de- decreases in any kind of creative outlets, or whether it's yoga, exercise, meeting people for, you know, discussion groups, etc., etc. All of these things uh, definitely could be construed in the context of. Um, Epigenetics has been very negative for us in terms of whilst our DNA might not physically uh, change, the um, components of some of these genes can definitely be switched off by epigenetic changes that occur under these stresses. And um, yeah, yeah, and the yeah. Uh, uh, things that are activated by authoritarianism and isolation <laughs> and so on include an excess of, of serotonin uh, production. Uh, and okay. uh, that causes a, a rigid uh, tendency to, to conformism that at the same time is cooling the body, slowing metabolism, making it more passive, uh, uh, leaning towards learned helplessness uh, uh, just by the excess of stress-induced serotonin excess. The serotonin, in turn, activates all of the stress-related other hormones, but its worst function is to slow the metabolism, increase inflammation, 
tending uh, towards uh, degeneration and death. Uh, and uh, estrogen is the other uh, uh, killing uh, uh, stress-related uh, uh, chemical uh, that lowers the body temperature, predisposes it to more uh, inflammation, and uh, makes it more uh, receptive to uh, authoritarianism and uh, creates a failure of adaptiveness. Yeah. So, so all, all of this is a spiraling, a kind of um, a compounding, compounding factor, one, um, one negative thing after another, and it's in complete odds with a mindfulness mindset or a positive mindset because the environment, well, it's not that the person's obviously got their mind set on mindfulness and they are not going to be subjugated by all of the control, for example, during this pandemic. Um, obviously, there are people that will be mindful of their own place in the universe, as it were, and are not going to allow uh, this external stimuli to suppress them um, because they either have a very strong mindset based on positive affirmation and mindfulness uh, or distrust of what's going on, obviously. Um, but that these these changes, and, and just talk about a little bit about what these epigenetic changes can do in terms of their worst uh, consequences, in terms of switching genes off or switching them on, in terms of inflammation and other pro-carcinogenic effects. Uh, uh, yeah, the, the whole idea of, of epigenetics is flexibility and, and reversibility. And so it's very antagonistic to all of the doctrines mm -hmm. that say uh, cancer is incurable, uh, advanced heart disease and kidney disease are incurable, and so on. Uh, the, the epigenetic idea explains how they develop from uh, uh, bad environmental uh, uh, opportunities and uh, also uh, potentially uh, shows uh, routes by which they can be reversed. Uh, so it's a very uh, optimistic uh, view yeah. in relation to health and development. And uh, there, uh, where the genetic uh, view uh, says you can only develop so far uh, if your genes are bad, uh, you're mm. going to be a, a sickly, uh, unproductive uh, person. Uh, the epigenetic uh, approach says uh, the genes are only a very sketchy determinant. Uh, many other things determine our vitality. Uh, for example, uh, the exposure prenatally uh, to too much estrogen lowers the body temperature, uh, reduces the, the growth of the brain, uh, and uh, predisposes to uh, inflammatory diseases, uh, obesity, and, and uh, lifelong weakness. Uh, the uh, exposure to extra glucose, uh, simply adding glucose, uh, to the developing gestating uh, animal uh, or the hormones such as progesterone that provide a, a more reliable amount of glucose increase uh, the, the uh, growth of the brain, the thickness of the cortex, 
the energy level, metabolic rate, and longevity. The bigger the brain is able to develop by these good circumstances, the longer the organism tends to live. Yeah, very interesting. It's um, again for people that are listening. Um, I would encourage you to um, go online, uh, and whilst it's not a definitively uh, accurate, maybe um, source of information, um, PubMed certainly have plenty of articles attesting to the um, science of epigenetics and attesting to the very thing that Dr. Pete's mentioning in terms of environmental enrichment as being positively um, favorable in the outcomes of various animal models um, for disease resistance and or recovery. So whilst it, whilst it may, and not to me perhaps, but maybe some people who are listening have just caught the show, um, as I said, you, you, know, you really are not just what you eat, um, but you can become what you believe yourself to be in terms of positive affirmation and reinforcement, and that your thoughts really are far more powerful than people understand in terms of affecting uh, their outcome, their physiology, uh, and changing um, their, their, their manifestations of disease in their body or not. Uh, and that, as Dr. Pizzo mentioned, that it's a reversible situation that the genome um, that makes up who we are physically on the outside that people see, uh, as well as inside chemically what people don't see and how we interact with things, is very plastic, it's very fluid, and it's very dynamic. It's not at all fixed, as Dr. Peter said, that um, science, especially genetics, uh, probably from the moment it was uh, dreamt of as a tool by which to describe things and errantly at that. But um, the genome itself is very, very flexible, and it's not, it's not a very specific determinant of your, um, your outcome because epigenetics do play a big role in it, and uh, actually this whole missing heritability is explained by epigenetics, and it's something that people should really um, take a look at. It's a, it's a pretty pretty novel science, and it is a, a very worthy science for, its, for science's sake. Uh, might sound a little, um, might sound a little nebulous to some people listening that, you know, you, you can change the way you are by thinking differently, but um, this, type of, this type of change can be described as an epige epigenetic change over time, and the very concepts of authoritarian, authoritarianism uh, and isolation and um, going without and deficiency and lack, all of this breeds uh, an inflammatory stressed state, which is only outcome generally is negative um, and um, energy decreasing. So certainly uh, changing your mindset is a good way uh, of getting some kind of restitution from this. And then obviously um, the chemical changes that happen uh, you, Dr. Pete, you've mentioned things like estrogen and serotonin, uh, and these have certainly, unfortunately, been labeled as positive things in the medical uh, field, but um, we're very mindful of the fact that these are very pro-inflammatory. Um, in, in terms of, in terms of uh, epigenetics, I, I wanted to bring out, just for people to understand or just highlight it in a fairly, fairly simplistic manner, that, um, and I wasn't aware of this until I started looking, but and I had a... Actually, when I was studying uh, herbal medicine 
the two principals uh, were both Dutch who'd gone through the uh, Second World War and had endured the um, famine of 1944 to 1945, which they called the Dutch Hunger Winter Famine. Um, and I remember um, one of the one of the um, one of the, uh, the, the professor who was describing the uh, torture, if you like, um, because they were in such such famine because the Germans had cut off the food supply that there was a, a time when the only thing that you could eat was daffodil bulbs, and um, they've done studies now on children uh, from women who went through that. And these studies have shown a pretty clear link um, to certain genes being switched off and that these people are certainly more prevalent uh, in manifesting heart disease and schizophrenia and type 2 diabetes. Uh, and they're saying that they can link it fairly positively to the epigenetic changes that occurred as a result of this um, famine. And what we, about that, Dr. Pink? We have a caller, too, after that. Uh, uh, okay. All right, well, in, in recent let's news, go ahead and take uh, this. Uh, let's go ahead and take this first caller. Sorry, Doctor Pete. Let's let's take this first caller. Then I'll ask your uh, ask your feedback on that um, Dutch hunger famine. So, okay. caller, you're on the air. Where are you from, and what's your question? Sorry, I hate to interrupt. You have a great dialogue going on a very important topic, but I have two separate questions. One relates to um, the uh, product uh, turpentine or the. the ethers uh, related to it. Back in, I think, 1899, if you looked in a medical textbook, um, I think there were like 45 different problems or illnesses that allegedly uh, at the time were supposedly cured or at least improved um, by ingesting turpentine. Now, now, when you look at any turpentine, or the mindset is, oh, it's poison. And perhaps there's some that's poison, but I just wanted to get a sense clearly that the pharmaceutical companies are not going to want you to be doing this. But back in 1899, do you believe that they were right? Forget about what's going on currently. Uh, uh, currently, there is still research going on showing uh, that um, the turpentine family, each type of conifer has its own variant of turpentine. But some of these are very... Uh, for example, stimulate wound healing, accelerate healing, and are anti-inflammatory, and uh, others are antibiotic, uh, uh, very important uh, biological uh, beneficial effects. Uh, and I, I don't know where this uh, uh, culture of fearing turpentine uh, came from, but it happened to coincide with the disappearance of cheap uh, turpentine uh, as paint thinner. Uh, I used to uh, very often uh, use turpentine as my solvent for painting, uh, but uh, where it used to cost a couple of dollars a gallon, uh, it's now up up around thirty or forty dollars a gallon, and uh, almost impossible to get. Uh, it's it's funny you say that because I, ha I think I've called earlier and I had a problem with my shoulder. I tore my rotator cuff. I opted not to get surgery. But there is a variant of turpentine that I did on an empty stomach take. Not, not, not a lot, but enough to, and literally within minutes, I'm talking minutes, the pain would disappear. I mean, almost exactly what you're saying. And so I don't know whether it's sort of... Um, 
I don't know that it kills parasites or bad creatures in your body, but which are maybe more likely to go to the wound site, but it certainly numbs them or reduces inflammation, as you said, in some fashion. Um, to me, it's it, it clearly, clearly, tr- everything you said has clearly been, I've already proven it. I just wanted to get your view. The other question relates to something I'd asked before on thyroid. You know, <clears throat> there's a lot of people who believe, and I, certainly I believe that thyroid is so important and learned about it from you, but I'm not really one who feels that I could would want to be reliant on any sort of thyroid mechanism or, or medicine, excuse me. So the other approach that Broda Barnes mentions and others mention is to actually take iodine. And I know I've heard some of your answers on that, and maybe you'll have a different view in the context of the way I'm going to ask this. But um, in, this, in the current environment we're in, you know, you've got breads, you've got all these other um, halogens that compete and, and block um, iodine. So it seems to me it's harder. Uh, well, I shouldn't say it this way. Um, is it reasonable without taking kelp with all the, just to take straight iodine perhaps from the earth and essentially a, a bioavailable amount, very small amount, that ultimately might be enough to help your thyroid do what it's supposed to do without having to um, compete with these other, or to maybe to, to, to get around, circumvent the use of these haloids that your thyroid doesn't want to use? You know what I mean? In the last uh, 20 years or so, there have been several dozen studies showing that uh, thyroid disease uh, corresponds to the introduction uh, of uh, ionized salt. Uh, uh, yeah, I think that's a bad product. So what I... So the other thing is, as you'll agree, and I, I don't want to say we're share-picking studies here, that, you know, people say, well, aspirin causes, it burns a hole in your stomach. Well, yeah, sure, if you take a whole bottle. But they don't tell you they put a whole bottle in the test, but they want to do the research so you buy their other products. So the same could be true of iodine, frankly. Um, so, but I don't disagree. It, there are a lot. So if you took the colored iodine or, or the iodized salt, yeah, there's all kinds of other toxins. But if you could buy a, get a pure form of bioavailable iodine in a very small amount where there's nothing else, it seems like a reasonable thing to do. Uh, Tell me uh, why. I'm... Yeah, uh, but uh, over one milligram a day, uh, I think, is risky. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was thinking like 600 micrograms, five to 600, one drop, literally. Anyway, I was going to test it. Um, I'll let you know how it goes. But you don't think that's not crazy. The things you're talking about, I agree with. You can't trust any research since you were in school, right? They're all lying. Um, look at COVID. I mean, look at this. It's not, they can't even isolate it. So um, I think you do have to do it yourself and test it in a reasonable manner. So anyway, I'm going to give that a shot. Unless you think, just so you're saying, if, if you use 500 milligrams and it's pure, close to pure iodine and doesn't have other toxins, it's probably not a bad thing to test, right? It's not Very crazy. Safe. Sorry? Uh, and I, I think turpentine is something that really needs uh, lots of fresh research now uh, in terms of uh, what we know about uh, the communication of, uh, of uh, cells and, and cytokines and uh, uh, the process of inflammation and anti-inflammation. Well, let me... Whoops. Sorry, I dropped him. We got another okay. caller, though. 
Yeah, okay. Well, thank you for your call, caller. Uh, let's uh, get another call in. Uh, caller, where are you from? What's your question? From uh, Southern Humboldt. And my question is this. is you know, I don't know what really iodine and turpentine have to do with the topic, which is epigenetics, as far as I could tell. Um, and I heard the guest uh, in, in very general terms the uh, the uh, how epigenetics works, but I'm wondering if we could get a little more specific about how that really works, um, and if the guest could talk about the mechanism uh, for uh, affecting and turning on and off the DNA, which is how epi my understanding of epigenetics works, uh, having to do with DNA methylation and hist hist uh, uh, histamine uh, modification and those mechanisms. So could, could the guest actually talk in more specific terms about epigen how epigenetics works biochemically uh, and about the limitations of what you can actually do with uh, epigenetics, because, uh, you know, it's not like I heard uh, the host say that, you know, you can do anything and be anything and that sort of thing. My understanding of epigenetics is it's very limited in how it can really affect the biochemistry uh, in that it does not change the DNA. It just modifies whether that DNA is turned on in particular cells or not turned on. So um, the, the actual amount of documented evidence that, that epigenetics can really change our lives as human beings um, is, is pretty limited. And it, it doesn't mean that, that our experiences, like being under a lot of stress or, or not getting enough to eat or those kinds of real stressors in human beings, um, it can't affect us, and that's what epigenetics is studying. But the idea that we can do anything with epigenetics is just a misuse, uh, in my opinion, of uh, you know what's out out there actually in the science. So, uh, could could the guest talk a little bit more about the DNA methylation and, and the actual mechanisms for which uh, epigenetics uh, can change the um, the whether our DNA gets uh, gets activated or not in certain cells. Thank you. Okay. All right. Thank you for your call, Doctor Pete. Did you get the grasp of that question there? The attachment of methyl groups to DNA has got the most interest and credibility. Uh, among the uh, standard genetics uh, workers. Uh, uh, and uh, in principle, uh, with uh, stress and aging, we lose the ability to uh, activate genes. Uh, and so uh, the uh, general idea is that our DNA becomes too methylated, uh, turning off uh, massive amounts of genes so that we're uh, very slow to renew our our cell proteins. But 
certain uh, islands of DNA uh, become uh, under-methylated uh, as a result of hormone imbalances and stress and so on. And if you have a tumor repressor, which becomes uh, uh, methylated, uh, you stop repressing tumors. And if you have an under-methylation of something which is considered an oncogene, you can activate oncogenes by losing uh, the inhibiting methylation. Uh, and uh, so the, the connection of DNA methylation uh, to, to stress and cancer development and aging uh, is getting a huge amount of, of research. Uh, but uh, there are uh, the, the second most popular mechanism of, of epigenetics uh, for the uh, conventional uh, crowd uh, is changes in the histones, uh, which are uh, they, they are able to uh, block activation of, of massive, uh, massive amounts of, of DNA. And acetylation, uh, there is methylation of histones and also attachment of acetyl groups. And when acetyl is attached, it lets the DNA become active. And so deacetylators become DNA gene suppressive. And there's a lot of research on that, too. And now the microRNA uh, regulatory uh, systems uh, has tremendously complicated uh, the area. Uh, but uh, the, the idea of the uh, unexpressed 97 or 98 percent of our DNA, which doesn't make genes, uh, this, this is uh, clearly involved in regulatory processes that are not uh, genetic in the ordinary sense, but uh, obviously contribute to uh, the epigenetic uh, momentum that the organism has. And uh, uh, people are suggesting that a failure of that is involved in the old age and the increased susceptibility uh, to viruses and, and degeneration. Uh, uh, and there are probably others, but uh, the, the whole idea of the mechanism of uh, how these uh, uh, changes of function and structure uh, without changing the actual uh, gene composition, uh, the, the uh, whole repertoire that the organism uses is just now uh, really being suspected. Uh, and and uh, I, I think the emphasis on DNA methylation uh, has been uh, taken out of proportion. Uh, estrogen and progesterone are both uh, major regulators of uh, 
methylation and demethylation and histone acetylation and deacetylation. Uh, uh, so the, the hormones and the systems, energy uh, largely regulated by, uh, by uh, thyroid hormone and the balance between uh, carbon dioxide and uh, lactate, uh, carbon dioxide being the, the quieting, uh, uh, efficiency-promoting uh, anti-inflammatory substance, uh, lactate being the, the excitatory inflammation-promoting uh, uh, de-energizing substance uh, going with a, a low metabolic efficiency. Okay, well, you're listening to KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM. Uh, from now till the end of the show, if people want to call in, uh, we can get a couple of one or two quick questions in. Uh, the number seven zero seven nine eight. sorry, 923-3911. I'll say that once again, 707-923-3911. Guest speaker, Dr. Raymond P. I had actually just told um, the caller who was on that he probably wasn't. Well, I told him he had to get it out in 30 seconds, and he actually just hung up. So uh, you have uh, like four <laughs> minutes to clean up, and we have an underwriter to thank at the end. So that's super awesome. Okay, so, so we're probably getting too close to the top of yeah, the hour exactly. to uh, take any more calls in. Okay. All right. Well, Dr. Pete, um, you you're saying basically then to sum up there's an energy uh, an energy situation uh, when the organism is fully energized uh, and there's plenty of CO2 and there is a active thyroid and metabolism is working the way it should be uh, there is much less chance uh, of any epigenetic changes taking place that would destabilize um, the system. Uh, yeah, energy is the thing that protects and guides the proper <clears throat> expansion of our, our structures. It, the energy increase under the influence of thyroid and oxidative metabolism and carbon dioxide, this is a constant ongoing flow which is tending constantly to uh, complexify our structure, building structure constantly. Uh, if your energy fails, then it goes the other way. Uh, structure decomplexifies and deteriorates. Okay, well, I probably should stop you there. Thank you so much for giving your time again. Uh, Dr. Pete, um, I'll sign off with giving information about how people can reach you um, after, after this moment. Okay, very good, thanks. Thank you. Okay, so for people who've tuned in this evening, um, Dr. Raymond Pete, www.raypete.com. Um, he's got a uh, fully referenced uh, library, if you, if you will, of papers, newsletters that he's written, uh, backed up and fully referenced. Um, epigenetics, another one of those subjects that he's weighed in on again. Uh, and, yeah, it is a living testimony to uh, further knowledge outside of science for science's sake because he's looking uh, not for the money, 
uh, but he's looking for the truth. And so um, plenty of information on his website. I really wanted to get to, and I very quickly just said, say a little bit about this, I really wanted to get to um, uh, talk about Dr. Nicholas Gonzalez, uh, who was a medical doctor, uh, died in 2015, but had a um, pretty successful um, practice treating pancreas uh, cancer, pancreatic cancer patients who were rapidly progressive, this very aggressive disease, uh, rapidly fatal. But um, his um, his speech, uh, there's plenty of uh, plenty of um, audios uh, online uh, where you can hear him. In particular, one was uh, titled "Why Why Clinical Trials for Cancer Cures Are Futile." Um, again. Um, somebody else in the medical field who really wanted to be altruistic and actually help people with cancer uh, came up with a protocol that was definitely treating people um, but was absolutely dogged along the way at every step by the National Institutes of Health and various other organizations who did not want him to be successful in doing this. And so there are always alternatives out there. The Internet's a great source for information, but watch out for misleading information because that's also... Um, very, <laughs> very relevant to the search. Um, so maybe next month we'll get into uh, Dr. Nicholas Gonzalez if we don't wrap up the epigenetics part of it. Um, so our website is westernbotanicalmedicine.com uh, and we can be reached uh, Monday through Friday. Uh, we have an 800 number, 1-888-WBM-HERB. Uh, if you like, uh, my email address is andrew at westernbotanicalmedicine.com. So until the same third Friday of May from 7 to 8, uh, we'll see you next month. Thank you. Herbal Med Rx creates organic herbal products including bath and body oils, salves, deodorants, herbal teas, CBD products, essential oil blends, and more. Visit www.herbalmedrx.com to see all products and events. You can reach Sue Lukasha at Herbal Med Rx by phone at 209-296-2120. Get ready, Shaka and Shyla are here, so you can step out on a wing and a prayer.